Okay, <clears throat> so there's the scripture passage on the screen that we're going to look at together this morning, or you can open in a Bible if you want to read the ESV version uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. Uh, the version that's printed here uh, in front of you will be um, just slightly altered from that. <clears throat> just a couple words. Um, <clears throat> so, we're talking about the hard work of living today. Living is hard work. Uh, people prefer, really prefer not to um, waste all the hard work of living. Uh, we would like to direct our energies and expend ourselves toward the accomplishment of some great purpose. Uh, to have our lives amount to something of lasting significance. We'd like all of our hard work to, to make a difference, to mean something. So, <clears throat> so don't waste your life. Do something big. Make your mark in the world. Christians and non-Christians alike can be inspired by messages like that. But sometimes it's hard to find uh, the motivation for the daily grind. Sometimes it's, it's hard even to get out of bed in the morning. Because we ask the question, why am I doing any of this? And a lot of times we struggle to come up with a good answer for that. Uh, God's the only answer to this question. <laughs> why am I doing any of this? God's the only answer to that question. With, only with God is it possible for us to find enjoyment in our toil, as our scripture passage says in verse 24, um, to rest in satisfaction that a life of hard work isn't a pointless waste. Right? So <clears throat> this is a gift uh, that God gives us in our relationship with him. Uh, and you can receive and you can enjoy this gift through faith in Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, your word is the only true source of comfort and encouragement and hope in this world. Uh, but it can be hard to find uh, the, the goodness that's in your word, that to uh, be able to perceive the goodness of your word. That can be hard for us. So we pray that you would make it clear to us this morning by the power of your spirit as we consider your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. <clears throat> and who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool? Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vapor. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vapor and a great evil. For what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils under the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vapor. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? 
For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vapor and hurting wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think you can hear that uh, Solomon is frustrated here. He goes on and on about toil. He says that word nine times in just a few verses here. The Hebrew word for toil is amal. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. I think it's amal. Uh, It can also be translated labor, uh, hardship, trouble, mischief. Uh, And it's highlighting the, the difficult nature of work, right? So a lot of times we say we love our work. Um, this is the part of work that we wouldn't say that about. <laughs> this is the, the difficult nature of our work, our toil. So here <clears throat> Solomon is complaining uh, mostly about the same thing over and over again. He's really stuck on it. He says this, you know, the problem with toil is that you toil and you toil and you just end up leaving it all to someone else in the end. He says that same thing about three or four times, actually. And each time he vents at the end of it, his his frustrated assessment about it. He says it's vapor. It's pointless. In his search for lasting significance in this world under the sun, in this life, uh, apart from relationship with God, uh, Solomon, through Ecclesiastes, he looks in all the places where we commonly look for, for lasting significance in this world. And now he's looking at toil, he's looking at labor, he's looking at work, the endeavors of our lives that take up most of our time and energy, where people are very likely to to try to derive a sense of purpose and meaning in life. So whether you're talking about working your paid jobs, uh, whether you're talking about cultivating a new startup or um, developing yourself in a professional career, Uh, serving your family at home, Uh, maybe going to school. That's what you spend a lot of your life's work doing right now. Maybe you're talking about exercising and physical fitness or dedicating yourself to practicing and developing your artistic talents. Whatever you spend your life's labors on, uh, we often build our identities around those things. We build our identities around our work. We like to think, that people will, will know us or remember us for our work. We want uh, our work to mean something more than bare survival, just eking a living out of the earth. We'd love to change the world. We'd love to leave some kind of imprint on the world, some kind of legacy through our work. We get all wrapped up in our work, obsessing about it and stressing over it, investing everything we've got in it and making big sacrifices for it. Uh, If you've ever had a sleepless night because you're worried about what's going on at work, then you can probably relate to how Solomon talks about toil here. He says that, he talks about that very thing in verse 23. Uh, We don't want all the hard work of living to go to waste. And Ecclesiastes would just have you ask this question about yourself. Why? Why? Why don't I want all the hard work of living to go to waste? Why am I doing all of this? Why am I pouring myself out for this? Why am I making big sacrifices for this and stressing over this? Why am I doing this? 
do you think it's going to bring you a lasting sense of significance and a lasting uh, satisfaction? Because if so, let's just be honest, it ain't going to happen. We live and we work and we expend ourselves toward some accomplishment in life, whatever that is for you, convinced that that's going to make us happy forever. But everything you invest in, everything you sacrifice for, everything you work so hard and even might suffer to, to make, to create, to carve out in this world is really quite insubstantial and fleeting when you think about it. And in the end, if it even amounts to much of anything tangible at all, it's all just going to go to someone else. And who knows if they'll even appreciate it, right? So imagine Solomon here for just a minute. He knows this uh, better than any of us, I think. He was the great king of Israel, right? The greatest king Israel ever had. The greater son of the great King David. He worked with his great wisdom and his knowledge and his skill to build up the kingdom of Israel to the heights of its glory among nations. Israel was never a better kingdom than under uh, Solomon's rule, right? It was never greater. And when he died, it all went to that wicked fool of a son, Rehoboam, who rejected wise counsel and he heaped up burdens upon the people so that the kingdom fractured and Rehoboam lost all 10 of the northern tribes, 10 out of 12. So, I mean, this is what a legacy that Solomon had built and all the the years of hard work were just gone like a puff of breath on a winter's day. Right? And we look at a story like that and we say, what a tragic waste. <clears throat> Solomon's heir, Rehoboam, he was the epitome of a foolish, oppressive sinner. And probably in his great wisdom, Solomon could see uh, where this was all going. Right? He knew what his son was like. And thinking about him, uh, about this, made him bitter. He hated his toil, it says in verse 18, and he gave his heart up to despair over his toil. And he complained about this same thing three or four times in this passage. If, if he couldn't be, if Solomon couldn't be the one to enjoy the fruits of his life's labors forever and to preserve those things and maybe control those things, right? The, the fruits of his life's labors forever, what was even the point? Toil, pain, sorrow, vexation, sleepless nights for what? What's the payoff? You know what it's like to fail. You know what it's like to spend months of your life, maybe even years of your life, pouring yourself into some endeavor, pouring yourself into some toil or another, just to see it all really amount to nothing, fizzles out, crumbles, disappears. You know that in the end you're going to hand off whatever is left of your life's work to someone else. And who knows how they'll handle it. <clears throat> doesn't even matter. The point is there's no ultimate glory for you in it. <laughs> right? So, so why do you wake up every morning and do it all over again? Someone has said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So I'll ask you again, why do you wake up every morning and do it all over again? The point of Ecclesiastes is to convince you that there's no good answer to that question apart from your relationship with God. The the point of the scriptures, the point of the scriptures, the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to convince you that in relationship with God, there's a wonderful answer to this question. Why am I doing any of this? 
the scriptures tell us that we invest too much in our toil, that we're looking to get more out of it than, was, than it was made to provide, right? We need glory. We need a glorious identity. We need cosmic level meaning and purpose in our lives. We were made for eternal joy that never ends. <clears throat> You're never going to get those things out of your work, whether you're talking about your career, your homemaking, your school, uh, the startup you're working on, your arts or exercise or whatever it is you're pouring yourself into. All those things are good. They're even very good. But they can't handle the weight of our need for ultimate everlasting good. There's only one who can, <clears throat> and it's only in relationship with him that we can truly enjoy the good things in their proper place and not elevate them to this place of ultimate and everlasting. Right? So look at verse... Uh, 24 and 25. <clears throat> There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? <clears throat> so we'll talk about <clears throat> eating and drinking, that kind of stuff, I think, in another uh, sermon uh, as we get later in Ecclesiastes. But uh, talking about finding enjoyment in your toil, if something is from the hand of God, it means it's a gift. God gives us the gift of being able to find enjoyment in our toil. Apart from him, we cannot have enjoyment. That's what this says. Apart from him, there is only the tragic waste of life's hard labors. If you insist on looking to your toil to provide you a sense of ultimate meaning and satisfaction, and you persist in your refusal to be restored in your relationship with God, it basically means you're making a false god and an idol of your work, your endeavors in life, then you're always going to be disappointed. But you can find enjoyment in your toil, not so much in the toil itself as the sole object of your joy, but in God. In God. And here's what that means. So when you, when you live your life and you go about your hard work and you do that in a right relationship with God, in fellowship with God, with thanksgiving, to God and, and paying attention to God, then it restores true meaning to your work. So I don't mean that in and of itself your work becomes something fundamentally different and new. I don't mean that you'll actually be able to accomplish something great and glorious and lasting that you can enjoy forever. It's not what I mean. <clears throat> I mean that the point of your work becomes something that it wasn't before. It becomes a place for you to meet God. It becomes a moment for you to meet God. So God is the only one who can perpetually fulfill you, who makes life truly worth living. And your life's labors are where you can meet him. Your toil and everything in this life, really, becomes a gift for you to receive from God with thanksgiving. Your toil becomes a place where you can learn about God. Your toil becomes a labor to perform in the presence of God as unto the Lord. Your labor, your toil becomes a means for you to enjoy God and to become more like God, to get to know God and become more like him. So rather than looking to your work to bring you fulfillment, you find your fulfillment in God as you work, as you come to know him in your work, right? So the only way for your toil to mean something is if it's brought into your relationship with God. <clears throat> so I'm not talking about I'll just put it this way. I'm not talking about bringing God into your work in a work-centered way. 
like the athlete who prays for God to help him win, uh, or like the student who prays for God to help her pass her finals, or like the contractor who pay, uh, prays for God to help him land this big job, right? And these things, the work still, it's the ultimate thing. And God has just become a means to getting that ultimate thing out of your work, right? So no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about bringing your work into your relationship with God in a God-centered way, like the athlete or the student or the contractor or the stay-at-home mom or the farmer or the teacher who begin to see every moment of their toil as moments for being with God for receiving his presence as a gift. Every moment uh, as an opportunity to come to know what he is like, an opportunity to faithfully serve him. Every moment. So the classic illustration for this, uh, you probably already have it in your minds. It's this, uh, this little book uh, by Brother Lawrence, the monk who wrote uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. So he was just the humble cook, right? Nobody special. He's not doing great and glorious things. He's not creating some fantastic legacy to hand down to the generations. He's just spending his life boiling the water and chopping the vegetables and doing the dishes. Right? It doesn't matter, really, how well someone cooks. It, that doesn't really amount to much in the big scheme of things. Right? <clears throat> but it became for him a place to commune with the infinite, eternal God. And a life spent with the infinite, eternal God can never be wasted. He found enjoyment in his toils because he found enjoyment in God as he toiled. Right? And so your toils, your, your labors, your hard life can all be brought into your relationship with God. And he can be the reason for your existence. And he can be the reason for your hard work and for your sacrifice. This is not something for only the super spiritual people. This is not just a privilege for only the, the really good people that maybe God can tolerate if they're good enough, right? Because he loves us, God has made a way for unimportant people like us and for sinful people like us to live our daily lives with him. And he's done it. He's made this way for us in the most remarkable way through a dynamic that we see right here in our passage repeated over and over again. Solomon is frustrated with the apparent injustice of some sinner enjoying the fruits of his labors, right? And he also says that the work of uh, sinners will not be enjoyed by them, but given to those who are pleasing to God, right? And so here you have this dynamic of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One person does the work and others receive the benefits. And we complain that that seems unfair, but by God's grace, this is exactly how our salvation works, and without that dynamic, none of us could hope to enjoy a relationship with God. Right? So Jesus came into the world. He's the great king, the greatest king, the greater son of David. And he labored with divine wisdom and knowledge and skill to build up the kingdom of God to the heights of its glory among the nations. And God declared this word over his life. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In our passage, it says, to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So Jesus had these things. He had wisdom and knowledge and joy. Uh, 
He found enjoyment in his toil, even though his life and his labor took him to the cross, even though his life is suffering and hard and laborious toiling, right? It took him to the cross where he died. And he found this enjoyment in his toil because he received all of his life and his labor from the hand of his father. He received it all as a gift to be lived with his father, to live his life unto his father, for his father's sake, and through the spirit, through the empowerment that that God gave him, the spirit of his father. Jesus spent his life with God. And even though that meant he died, it was not a waste. The resurrection and the ascension are, are the proof of that, right? So now Jesus lives in the presence of his father forever. His life's labors, his toil has all paid off infinitely and eternally because he found his joy in God. And unlike Solomon, Jesus was not embittered to see his life's work pass on to us. Right? Jesus delights to share the reward of his toil with us. Even though we're sinners, even though we're fools, even though we don't deserve to enjoy the fruit of his labors, even though we're prone to make a mess of his kingdom on earth, he delights to share the reward of his toils with us. Jesus doesn't think that's unfair. But when you benefit from his hard work, he is glad to give you his perpetual relationship with God, his own moment by moment and eternal life with God. The debt that we sinners have gathered and collected in God's sight, he paid. And the glory that Jesus deserves because of his righteousness, we receive. And that glory that Jesus deserves, that glory is the presence of God. And you're welcoming God's presence because Jesus is welcoming God's presence. And you have the presence of God because Jesus has given you the spirit of God, who is the presence of God. So through faith in Jesus, you have his perpetual moment by moment eternal life with God. And that's a gift to be believed and received. God's presence is a gift. Your ability to find enjoyment in your toil, in your communion with God, in your toil, that's a gift. And if you enjoy the gift of God's presence in your toil, then that means so many things. It means you're never alone in your toil, right? Jesus knows what a life of hard work is like. He can definitely relate. And your, your current toil experienced in his presence is his gift to you. It's the privilege of being able to relate to him. So it means that none of your toil is ever in vain. It's never a waste of time. Even if you fail in the world's sight, even if you spend years of your life working on some project that never pays off, because it was always moment by moment time to be spent with the Lord, learning about him and faithfully serving him. Your work, your labor, it wasn't meant to bring you everlasting joy, but the one who is your everlasting joy, he's always present with you in your work. Enjoying the gift of God's presence in your toil means that um, boiling the water and chopping the vegetables and doing the dishes and changing the diapers and doing the laundry, they become moments for you to do good things. 
in relationship with God. Not cosmic level, supremely glorious things in themselves, but it's time spent with the one who is supremely glorious, knowing that he cares about us in even these little labors. Right? So some of you <clears throat> have seen uh, this book before, uh, Every Moment Holy. It's a it's sort of a devotional thing, kind of a, uh, it's a it's a helpful resource for learning to bring every moment of our lives into our relationship with God in a God-centered way, in a Christ-centered way. <clears throat> and it's a it's a collection of um, what are called liturgies. There's prayers, basically, um, <clears throat> for different moments in life. For example, they include things like the preparation of a meal or the hurried preparation of a meal or the keeping of bees or the washing of windows and so forth, right? Little liturgies written for each of these little mundane <clears throat> things that we engage in on a daily basis to live life with God in these things. So let me read you the the second liturgy for changing diapers, for there are many diapers that must be changed, it says. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it says, Ah, Lord, what a mess we sometimes make of our lives. What a tragic comedy in even our most sincere attempt to merit righteousness on our own. We are no more able to render ourselves holy than is this infant to keep itself unsoiled. I am as dependent upon your grace and your own righteousness, O Christ, to justify me and make me clean, as this little one is dependent upon me to wash the residue of filth from its skin, wrapping it again in soft and freshly laundered garments. Let me not be frustrated by the constant repetition of this necessary act on behalf of a child. Rather, let the daily doing of this be a reminder to me of the constant cleansing and covering of my own sin, that I, helpless as this babe and more often in need, enjoy in the active mercies of Christ. Amen. Liturgy for the second, it's the second liturgy for changing diapers. If you can enjoy the gift of God's presence in a moment like this, then you can enjoy it at any time, right? Enjoying the gift of God's presence in your toil means uh, you don't have to stress out and lose sleep over your work. It's just the job that God has given you for right now so that you would meet him in this moment today. And this God also gives you the gift of rest from your work. Rest and relief and refreshment and rejuvenation and celebration in his presence. <clears throat> Enjoying the gift of God's presence in your toil means, um, this is a big one, I think, for, for a lot of us. If someone betrays you and ruins your life's work and steals your ideas and cuts in front of you for the promotion and swindles you out of your fortune or fires you right before you were going to qualify for your pension, it wasn't all a tragic waste. Because in moments like these, we have, we have real communion with Jesus. We have precious communion with Jesus. We have the privilege of knowing what it was like for God in the flesh to be betrayed by sinners, even to his death. And a life spent with Jesus, a life spent coming to know Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, is never in vain. It's never a waste. 
It's okay if you never get the ultimate payoff from your work. It's okay if you don't get the promotion, if you, don't, if you get laid off, if your career ends abruptly. It's okay if all the fruit of your labors go to someone who is completely irresponsible. These are all opportunities to meet with Jesus, to know what life in this world was like, even for the perfect human being, to thank him for working with all his wisdom and skill, just to give eternal life with God to someone like you. <clears throat> so I'll close with Paul's words, the end of his uh, chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, where he's talking about the centrality, the importance, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and how we're going to be raised from the dead like him. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, and I would add, and only in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to know this gift in Christ of finding enjoyment in you in the midst of our toils. We pray that you would help us to bring everything in our life into our relationship with you. Help us by the power of your spirit and by the word of your grace to live with you rather than apart from you, to find our purpose and our meaning and our satisfaction in you. We pray that you'd help us to spend our lives with you and to spend our lives for you. We pray that you'd help us in whatever we do to faithfully serve you, knowing that in Christ alone, our labor is not in vain. We pray in his name. Amen.